In this week's episode, we sit down with Chad Clark and Brian McLean, and we talk a little bit about leadership, followership, coaching, teaching, Highland Games, and just basically having fun. Uh, I got to meet Brian through Chad, and uh, really, I, I don't ever meet like really bad people anymore. I just I just meet amazing humans. And I'm a very, very lucky person. And so because of that, I don't want to be greedy. And I want to share with all of our listeners out there just how great um, these folks are. Um, every week I'm getting to do, you know, more and more trips and, and going to see all these awesome people and talk to them and, and share this with you guys. So I really hope that you enjoy it. Um, and, you know, leave us a review. Check us out on Facebook. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, all under H2Ocast, um, so check us out. Um, love to hear you guys' feedback. Um, I, I've only had positive stuff come out of this, so I'm only going to put positive stuff into it. So I really hope you guys enjoy this podcast. So we're sitting here with my buddy Chad Clark. He's been on the podcast once before. He'll be on at least three or 4,000 more times. Um, just because he's, he's got a, he's got that great presence and that great voice. So Chad, take her away. <laughs> All right, Dave, as always, man, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't also say, you know, thank you for all that you do for string sports and giving guys like me and Brian here a platform, you know, to speak on <clears throat> cash, what you said, uh, I'll be on this podcast a lot and I enjoy I enjoy just being me and talking, obviously. But uh, today, I got my buddy, my good buddy Brian McLean on. So, you may or may not know that name. Uh, Brian, in my opinion, is a bit of an unsung hero uh, in, in the world of Highland Games. <clears throat> I was very fortunate enough here recently. I've known Brian for a bunch of years. And thankfully for Brian, he was able to get out of Northern Virginia <laughs> which is a complete hellhole. <laughs> Thank God. I got out in 2013, just saying. You know, when I go up there, I'm sorry to all my Northern Virginia friends. I'm like, get me the hell out of here. I can't get out soon enough. But in the end, ultimately, Northern Virginia's loss is the Roanoke Valley's gain. Uh, Brian, I can't tell you how much how many athletes he's coached in the Highland Games, uh, to pro levels, uh, to Masters World Championships. And again, we have him right here in the Roanoke Valley. He's helping me out, make athletes here much better, uh, which is all both him and I, we're on the same page. All we want to do is make the sport better, make athletes better, promote the, the sport, in this case being Highland Games. <clears throat> so he's like a treasure to have here. Also, as an added bonus, uh, I get him to help me out with Green Hill Highland Games, which is the event come up on August 24th that I run. <clears throat> and... Also, on the bonus plan is not only get Brian's help, but behind, behind every great man is a great woman. And his wife, Trish, is an absolute saint. Uh, I can never say enough good things about her as well. <clears throat> and no, she's not in the room, Dave. There's, this is totally unprompted. There, there's, yeah. <laughs> she's not in earshot. I don't know if you know if she's you not, kiss yeah, up she, that much. <laughs> she's not even around. But Trish is an absolute saint. And like I said, the bonus of getting Brian to help me out was also – Hey, now Trish is helping us out. So, again, I can never thank these two enough uh, for their willingness that they've shown to jump in, help out. You know, Trish is working a lot with a lot of local musicians as far as getting them to come out and be a part of the event. Uh, Brian will be doing all that he's can he can 
he's done a lot of coordinate with vendors and clans and things like that for me. So again, a lifesaver. And uh, anyway, I'm just very thankful to have him here, uh, be a part of the Valley, be a part of the event. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to him and let, let him tell a little bit of his story because it's a great story. And again, I can't tell you how many athletes performance-wise he's helped over the years in, in the sport of Highland Games. So, and again, he's an unsung hero in the sport, in my opinion. <clears throat> and uh, one thing I've always wanted to do was kind of shed light on what others have done. You know, so unfortunately, too many people fly under the radar in things these days. And these are people that should be in the spotlight because they do things for the right reasons. You know, there is no financial gain or financial reward or anything like that. It's just when Brian's doing something, you know, you know it's always for the right reasons. And people like that in the sport, to me, need, need to be brought more to the forefront because a lot of times their stories kind of sit in the background. And, and to me, that's not right. Uh, because these are these are what make uh, make sports go. I mean, it's it's really grassroots at its finest, and uh, that's the people I look up to. So on that, I'll turn it over to Brian. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna second your opinion of my wife. By the way, she's small enough that you wouldn't know if she was in the room um, right now. Anyway, but uh, uh, yeah, so I, I uh, got started in the Highland Games. Uh, God, it's been about 23 years ago and uh, I went to uh, Alexandria the Virginia Scottish Games and saw these big guys and not so big guys all throwing helping each other out coaching I was like looking for the next thing you know when you've been lifting for a while if you don't have a goal then your workouts are going to suffer you need to have some sort of competitive thing that you're really striving for so I thought Highland Games would be the thing um I learned pretty quick I was never going to be the strongest guy out there. So, like we talked, you know, before we uh, before the podcast is, were you born to it or is it a skill you had to build? And it really, I, I learned pretty quickly is I was never going to be the strongest guy. So I had to focus on the technique. And the biggest struggle when I started, um, first of all, there was only one class. It was never high, heavyweight, lightweight. There weren't women. There weren't masters or anything like that. And we were lucky if we had 15 people show up. And trying to get somebody who could coach you or help teach you the technique or anything like that um, was pretty scanty. Um, I got the VP production uh, videotapes or back at VHS back in the day. I watched those, but it took nine months before I felt like I understood the events well enough that I could go out and compete and not hurt other people. You know, whether I got hurt or not was still in question, but I, I really wanted to you know, learn the events well enough that I wouldn't be a danger to others, and, you know, I would have a decent showing. And I had a couple of people with me um, who were learning the, the events together, but it was a collective trying to figure things out. None of us had a throwing background. We just were, you know, fairly strong people who wanted to do something different. Um, and... After about nine months of that and competing, uh, you know, I did okay, uh, middle of the pack, and, and really just loved it. And from there, I started working with other people to train together, and still we were all feeling our way through it. And at every competition, what you'll find with the Highland Games is there's everybody's always willing to help. They really want to help you out, give you advice, give you tips and, and ideas. And I started writing a lot of this stuff down. Um, and then I was able, you know, lucky enough to meet online uh, Coach Mac, um, Coach Mackay from uh, uh, Moorhead State College, great throw, throws coach, and uh, bring him out. And we did a clinic. And then uh, with that, I met Ryan Vieira, who 
to me still is is top of the heap you know over history five times world champion five times on the podium uh and and competing through some serious back injuries and other things um and yet total class act so i had him out three or four times for uh clinics as well and really it it the passion i i got into was that so many people wanting to learn the games and I had the implements, I had the space, we had a field across the street and having people come over to the house every Saturday and then it started to be every Tuesday and Saturday, then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, um, as often as we could is have people training. And like Chad said, I've been lucky to, to coach people who are pros, world champions, masters world champions, um, and uh, just to be able to share that the love of the sport. and and. Um, you know, you've had Beaufay on here. He was one of my early guys to come out and start training. He was like 19, I think, uh, uh, when he started training. And being able just to share the time with the with the guys and, and you know, imbuing them that same love of this sport, which, if anything, is, is a crazy sport because it, it's, you know, you train for hours and hours and hours and you get three shots at each event to do, to hit your, your marks and hit the perfect throw. Um, and you know, it doesn't happen all the time. And learning how to, the psychology of how to recover from that and how to then go on and get better every time. So it was, um, I just started coaching and as well as competing. And um, as time went on, we got to the point where we called ourselves the Vienna Meathead Crew, the v VMC. And our, uh, our slogan was just one more. And every time someone would get to a point where they're almost ready to have a breakthrough and everyone else is ready to stop throwing that event and they're like, come on, just one more. And so we'd all throw one more time. Um, and uh, we got up to about 15, 16 people at a time practicing. And, and the field was big enough. We would have two different events sometimes going on simultaneously. Um, and so, you know, I was sp spreading my time between coaching and throwing. But I also had enough good throwers who I was able to ask and they were happy to to jump in is to help coach as well so we really were able to grow that the mid-atlantic um uh, highland games group uh, significantly um uh, so that's kind of the background of my story and well with your um with your with your coaching you started doing you know you came in 23 years ago and then you started coaching you know soon thereafter yeah, about two years <laughs> about two it. years in was there any kind of um <clears throat> higher level education that was helping you to be a better coach was there any nasm was there strength conditioning coaches was there anything else that was going on in your life that was helping you to be a better coach or was this just you were out there you could see it you had the magic guy to put it together and then you could help people figure out what was wrong um it, it was a ladder I, I actually my my degree is in slavic studies which of course means i went into uh uh, computers um so, <laughs> of course so, yeah that's usually how it goes <laughs> that, absolutely um so no it it's i i read a lot um i i have no problem you know being a little you know ballsy and asking people questions online or or getting their email and and doing extended uh, questions i remember i had a good long chat with uh carl dodge online and, and uh he was one of the ones that i thought really helped me in in coaching um because he said something funny and people ran that ran with hit what he his kind of offhand comment was as if it was gospel he says i don't squat to train for the highland games i don't do squats and then you know when if you would ask him 
why is that? He goes, well, I weigh 320 pounds and I can squat double my body weight in any, any given day for a set of 10. I don't need to get stronger. I need to get faster. And I was like, aha. So what you're saying is, is that depending on how strong you are, you may be strong enough, but you need to get faster. He goes, yeah, if you're strong, if you're strong enough, you need to be faster. If you're fast enough, you probably need to be stronger. It's that, that's so, you know, one fun thing about the Highland Games is not just pure strength. It's also speed and it's also the technique. So he talked a lot about how he did plyometrics because his big thing was while he had all the strength in the world, he needed to be faster and more agile. So he did a lot of agility drills. He did a lot of plyometric drills for his legs. Um, and, and that helped him with a lot of the different events. And uh, if you go back to the, any of the old tapes, uh, Carl Dodge, he was a beast. Um, Quadzilla was his nickname, 34-inch uh, quads, you know. So big guy, super strong. And, and that really kind of hit home. And the other thing we started talking about is, um, you know, he's found is that people will take somebody, a comment like he would make, where he doesn't squat for the Highland Games. He doesn't do that for training. Um, and take that as gospel, and then they go and proliferate that throughout the community as if, well, Carl Dodge, Carl Dodge doesn't do it, therefore no one should do it. Um, and uh, suddenly, you know, people run with that, and they think it's that's it. Well, part of the discussion we had was that with everybody, you have to modify the training to where they are in their strength, their conditioning, their capability, their technique, you know, how technically uh, savvy are they, are they and, and look at modifying that. And then the other thing is I took that uh, another step further. I'm sorry if I'm babbling here. But uh, when you look at technique, everyone says there's a certain way to do, my favorite's the sheaf. Um, there's whole bunch of different ways to do the sheep but you go to any island games and people say you need to do the check mark or you need to do this you need to do that there really is no one technique that's best but there is one technique that's best for you so understanding that was a big thing i kind of went on a quest in a lot of these different events is understanding what was the best technique depending on you know your body shape your strength your speed and all that and and applying what was going to be the best technique to that person so, um, yeah, another example would be how to hold the stone. So some people, their upper arm and their lower arm are exactly, well, I'm, I'm talking about the <laughs> Highland Game Stone, not an Atlas Stone. Um, so, uh, so some people, their upper arm and their lower arm, like me, are exactly the same length. So I can hold the stone on my body um, confidently in a certain spot. Other people, their their lower arm is much longer than their upper arm. That's a lot of people like that. So they need to lower where they tuck it down, less behind the ear, and more down towards the mastoid and their carotid, and they push from there. Because otherwise, to get it out from behind their ear, they have to drop their elbow as they go to put, and as soon as you drop your elbow, you've lost all your power. Have you seen that show on uh, on the History Channel, uh, Strongest Man in History? I have. Did you see the one last week um, where they were doing the Scottish Games? I, it was one I missed. Oh, you might want to watch that. <laughs> I do. And try to see Nick Best grab a stone and put it close to his head <laughs> so he can throw it. And he's about a foot away. And he's like, no. <laughs> there we go. It's fine. Yeah. And apparently uh, Shaw beat the, the Denny record by, it's what, 31 feet? He got like 34, 35 feet. Wow. With the, what, how, how heavy is that stone? On the Denny's? No, no, not the Denny Stone itself, but it, it, it was Denny's record. Because oh. he, he apparently had, oh, like, yeah. what, 8,000 records or something? Yeah. 
Um, but uh, he got like 34 feet, and that thing weighed like 29 pounds or something. Yeah, yeah. The that Braemars tend to be the Braemar, yeah, yeah anywhere between more. 25 and 30 pounds, and uh, yeah. I think that one's uh, close to 30. And I think they had the official guys because they were at like the. Um, you, you guys are gonna know way more about this than I am, but they were at like the the Madison Square Garden of Highland Games, uh, yeah, Inverness. I, well, probably uh, Inverness games to have a wall, brick wall around it with uh, stands. Yeah, there were stands inside and everything. And it, was, and it looked really, really nice, yeah, but they I, were like, this is the oldest place ever. I haven't seen it yet. When, when it all comes out, I'm just going to binge watch the whole thing from, from start to finish. It's, so that's that was my plan on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you might hate Robert Oberst more and more as it goes. Because um, I know I do. And every time I see him, I hate him a little more. But um, look, can I chime in on something real quick? Absolutely. Points? So with, with everything Brian just said, there, there's, there's a couple points that, that I feel like people should know. One – you know, he mentioned uh, Carl Dodge. Uh, to me, kind of like unsung heroes in the sport, I think if you're an athlete today, learn about all the athletes from the past. You know, these guys were the guys that paved the way for success in the sports that we have today. He, uh, Brian mentioned VP Productions. That was Vieira Pauly Productions. Yep. Uh, a lot of us at that time, you know, there was no YouTube. <laughs> there wasn't all these nice things that people have today to really shorten the learning curve. So if you wanted that information, you really had to work and get out there to obtain it. <clears throat> At the time, really, all we had was, you know, VP Productions videos. Uh, I remember, like, the old Larry Satchwell video, yep. the, old, the old VHS tape, <clears throat> uh, articles that Milo, uh, Randall Stronson from Iron Mind, uh, mm -hmm. Milo Strength Journal. You know, like the whole, I remember like the chief, Jim McGoldrick, he did yeah. all those series of articles. There's always some type of article by Francis Brebner. And I think today's athletes really missed out on that. To me, that was a huge part of the sport, not just competing, but also learning about these other athletes, learning their stories, you know, the, the quest for knowledge and knowing about the history of the sport. And to me, if you're being a strength athlete, all these sports have these really amazingly great histories. And to me, if you don't learn the history of it, about who paved the way, then that's a disservice. Uh, the other point I wanted to make out was the fact that uh, when you're talking about Brian being a coach, you know, there's lots of people out there that can be coaches, and there's tons of knowledgeable people out there. In my opinion, the thing that set Brian apart is the fact that he's able to not only give you the knowledge that you need to be better, but to give it to you in a way that you can learn it and it click. You know, some people can tell you nine million type of things, but it's never going to click with you because they're teaching style or coaching style. And I've had Brian down here in Roanoke to, to help uh, local athletes put on clinics and stuff before. And that's the great part of it is you see somebody that can give you this great knowledge and everybody can learn from it. You know, it's, it's simple. He can take something so totally, completely complex and just give it to you a few simple cues, and you're just like, bam, that's it. You know, and to me, that's that's the ability that separates a lot of coaches and stuff. And, it, you know, it's a rare trait. It's hard to find. And, you know, when you do, it's like, wow, man. It's like, I mean, it really is a gift. Uh, but, you know, that was what I want to chime in. You know, it's the three things. You know, learn your history. You know, things like that. It's just, to me, those are important aspects. And when you find somebody like Brian – uh, I know there's lots of other people very similar to Brian around the country that do so much stuff. Search those people out, man. You know, there's so many people that you can learn from. And, you know, and if you're an athlete, never stop learning. 
you know, always, you know, continue to continue to better yourself, better others, better the sport. Because at the end of the day, I mean, that's what it's all about. You know, we just want to see stuff continue to get pushed further and further. You know, 20 years ago, no one thought, you know, they'd be cracking 50 foot or knocking a door 100 foot in, in the weights for distance, oh, no. uh, you yeah. know. Uh, Francis Brebner had the uh, world record for lightweight, and that was uh, like I think ninety four ten or ninety three ten, and that was just considered just unbelievably immense as far as a distance goes. And the idea that someone would be going five feet further than that is you know ridiculous. And, and also you know weight for height when Matt Sanford cleared eighteen and a half feet with a stand at Ble- Pleasanton with a knockover bar. And the idea that we're throwing now two feet higher than that. I mean, when Matt Sanford cleared it, it was amazing and, and world record and just phenomenal. And then now we're two feet beyond that. And, and, and Matt Sanford is <clears throat> a name that a lot of people nowadays would not know. Yeah. Uh, but again, learn from these legends. You know, go back, you know, YouTube old Matt Sanford videos. Your mind will be blown at how great the guy was. Yeah. Yeah, and, and honestly, it, what's great about when you look at a Carl Dodge, a Matt Sanford, a Ryan Vieira, each of them, or the Aiken brothers from Scotland, um, each of them have a different body type, and each of them have different strengths. In certain events, they do better than others. But like in the Hammers, you watch Matt Sanford, Ryan Vieira, and the Aiken brothers throw the hammer, Stephen King. Um, they each have— Alistair Gunn. Alistair Gunn. Oh, yeah. You know, the giant killer, the giant killer. I mean, these guys each had to adapt the technique to themselves because of physical capabilities or limitations. Alistair Gunn is not a tall man, but he made himself tall in a hammer by the, his flexibility, his ability to bend, I swear to God, at 90 degrees at the hips, side to side with the hammer. Um, If you get to see some old video of him and just how he can lay himself out. Um, But you know, then you go to, okay, well, that's them. Are there things of this I can learn and take on, or things of this that are just beyond my ability? Well, the only way you can find out is try, um, and try a lot. Um, but the, uh, it, it's, again, the great thing about YouTube is so many videos out there. The downside, in my view, is that you get, it, it's data without understanding the information or the value. No, if, if you can't look at it and understand why did Matt Sanford do three slow spins to the right and then rip it, and why did Alistair Gunn, you know, lay out like he did with just a, amazing flexibility, if you don't understand the differences and why they did that, you can have a hard time applying it. And that's where I think, um, like you said, find somebody in your area that is a good coach who can tell you, give you advice and tell you what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong, and also things to focus on. Um, and I think that the, the biggest issue that people have is they don't learn the history of the sport. Um, it, you know, there's a little fun fact is that in about 19, um, I want to say, uh, 86, um, the sheaf toss world record was about 21 feet <laughs> because no one did the flick like is done now. And Alistair Gunn created the flick, and now we see people throwing not just 16-pound bags because that's what the pros were throwing then for the, for the push technique or punch. And now they're doing the flick, and we're you know approaching with the 20-pound bag approaching 40 feet. I mean, just yeah, – I saw that at, when I was at Glasgow sitting there with, uh, with, K- with KO, who will be on you know, next week. Um, yeah, they were almost at 40 feet, just yeah. like fucking around, just having a good time. And I'm looking at everything, and I go, 
Well, put every bar at 40 feet. Let's just yeah. see that 18 pound weight. Over, let's throw that to 40 feet too. Yeah. We'll start at 35 and see how it goes. And as a reminder to everybody, everyone loves sheaf. It's science. It, it really is. Everyone loves sheaf. <laughs> I know there's a lot of haters out there, but they're just haters. And, and honestly, everyone loves sheaf. It's a big thing that goes way up over a bar. It looks really cool. It looks better than when they throw the small weight. Because Highland Games has not been my thing. I'm trying. I'm really, really trying. I've went to shows. I'm trying to get into it, and it's it's hard for me. It really is to find yeah. that that interest and that groove. If you're not a part of it, it's to me it's a hard group to get into. But as Chad told me earlier today, nope, those are the nicest guys in the entire world, nice and strong man. And I said, bullshit. They're not nice to me, so they're not <laughs> nice and strong man. Um, but to, to all right, all right on, Dave, hold on. It's one in one a, okay, on strongman Highland Games athletes. That, that'll always be. My two loves. So you got one and one A. <laughs> so one and one A. That's what they're, they're exactly. It's the greatest people in the world of sports. I firmly believe that, and you know that's why you know no matter what I do in life, I always want to be a part of the two. So, uh, and, and you know it's 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 amazing how different, but yet how similar they are. You know as far as, far as welcoming, and like the whole family type thing. You know, you always say you know strong man is family, and. That's what it feels like to me too. You know, in the years I've been involved in, it. but you know, Highland Games was, was my original family, and uh, you know, no matter what I do in life, I keep going back to these two sports. And the reason is, is just the people. I mean, it, it is like family and stuff. You know, that's why I'm friends with you, know, you and and friends with Brian and and all these other great people. But you know, both sports, you know, far surpass anything I'd ever been involved with in the terms of friendliness, camaraderie, family atmosphere, and stuff. You know, so. So we gotta leave, we gotta say there, there it's one and one a. You, you can't leave me hanging like that, man. <laughs> well, I know that's where you started, so that's that's kind of the key point there. Um, why don't we go back and, and caveat off the, the points that you made as far as learning the history? The information is there. People have to know how to find it, where to find it, why to find it. And I think the coaching has to be there for them to say, okay, look, your homework for tonight is to go home and you're going to watch these six videos that you can pull up on YouTube, you can pull them up on your phone in the car, I don't care, but you need to go and watch these videos. That needs to be part of their homework other than just, all right, you're going to squat today, you're going to do this today, you're going to do that. And then also, for what this whole podcast is about, of be good or be good at it, what Brian just explained is he is good at being a coach. He had to be good at it to be an athlete. So... Mm -hmm. Coaching sometimes comes naturally for some folks. For you, it did. You were able to look at somebody, identify their weakness, and then translate it back to them. There's oftentimes, I feel that I'm, I'm a great coach because I like patting myself on the back, and that's what I do. I've, I've trained some world champions. They've been great. However, there are times when athletes don't get what I'm trying to tell them. And I will go find another coach, explain it to them the way I want it, and then have them translate into a better way. Because mm -hmm. I don't do touchy feely coddle well honey it's gonna be okay you know everything's no fuck that don't suck that's my way of going about it um so as a, as a coach who's out there too to kind of help them out you might be a good coach but you might might not be a good communicator and that's a problem so you need to be able to find another coach who you can go talk to and say hey look this is what i've got going on how can i translate this to this athlete this is the problem how can I fix that? And there's other coaches that will help you with that. I've got a guy in my home gym in Bowling Green uh, named Steven Burba. We agree on, I'd say, probably 97% of everything that we both do as far as coaching and doing stuff. And I will go to him and I'll say, hey, 
this is this is outside of my three percent. Can you do this? I was training my significant other at the time, and I was like, "Look, man, I just need you to tell her to do this." He was like, "Okay." He went and told her exactly verbatim every single word that I said, and she's like, oh, "Okay, yeah, I can do that." When with me, it was, "No, fuck you, I can't stand you. Wait till we get home." Da, da, da. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna train any significant others anymore. This ain't gonna work," because the coaching is different. So I think it's vitally important that people know coaches need coaches too. And Absolutely. there's always something else you can learn. Brian, you've been very lucky in that you've been able to communicate with all your athletes each time and well, be able to, to, to find that, that gray area and fix it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say every single athlete that I've coached, there are times when I've said something four or five different ways and still not getting through. And then someone I've got over practicing, um, here's what I'm trying to say. And they'll say it slightly different and suddenly it clicks. And that's, that's really what it's about. It's, you can sit there sometimes and like, I have a lot of different ways to say what I'm trying to say. And, and some of it depends on the background of the individual. Um, the more throwing background they have, I could say you're blocking yourself or you're not posting up, something like that. And if you got a throwing background, that makes sense. If or, you don't, if you play basketball, you got to post up and you got to go to the top of the key and uh... right. <laughs> Whereas if you don't have that throwing background, it's not going to make sense. So, uh, and, and and again, you can be the greatest coach in the world, and like you said, communication is key. But there are plenty of times where I'm sitting there trying to communicate something, and I'll say it four or five different ways over a period of weeks, and it's just not clicking. And then someone will say, "Oh, you need to do this," and I won't know what they say, or maybe it's just different. Same words coming out of someone else's mouth, it, it suddenly clicks with them, and then they're able to do it. And it's like, okay, perfect. I'm going to write that down, that that phrase worked with you, so you know I need to use that some, with some other people maybe. Or I need to use something along those lines for a different issue that you're having. So, And I think also understanding the background people have. Um, you know, If you're dealing with military and with uh, uh, um, uh, police, law enforcement, and you're trying to get them to relax and not be so spastic or spasmodic when they're doing the cast, uh, you know, you can say is, is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. You need to slow down. You need to calm down. You need to focus on being smooth. And if you say that slow is smooth, smooth is fast, anyone who's ever learned to clear a room or anything, that makes 100% sense and it'll click with them and they can then start thinking about that when they do it. So I think that's also a big thing if you're coaching is – trying to figure out how people think what you know either what they do for a living or what they want to do for a living whatever but but just some of their educational background too is has a lot to do with how you communicate with uh, with people but as you said <clears throat> excuse me you can sit there and say this what's technically perfect a hundred different ways and it's not going to get through to the to the athlete you're trying to coach and someone else and if you can go ask someone else hey here's what i'm trying to get this person to do can you help me out and they can come out with the perfect phrase i think coaches need to swallow any sort of pride they have in in acting like they have to be the center of that person getting better what's really is the athlete has to be a center of it all in them getting better so you just don't worry about who is the one who says the words as long as the athlete gets better. That's so, the truth. Yeah. You, you speak on your, <clears throat> uh, your military background just a little bit there. Uh, at what point were you – when did you join? How long did you serve? And how much of that crossed over into Highland Games? <laughs> uh, 
So I joined in 81, uh, served for just shy of six years, um, got injured and um, ended up getting out. Um, none of it. Um, I was a military intelligence type. So absolutely nothing to do with that. However, um, been through you know, a fair amount of different training um, at the time, and then I stayed in Intel for a while and then worked at IT in the mili- um, with military folks. So, you know, my military background really didn't play into it too much. Um, and uh, it's just being around military people often enough and talking with them. And, um, you know, a buddy, Drew Kirchin, lived with us for a while when, um, when he was uh, competing. Um, and we talk a lot. I, you know, you pick up a lot of things when you talk to people if you listen. Um, and I think that's really more of where that comes from. Because personally, I feel like my, my military experience gave me much more of a better eye as far as dealing with different kinds of people. Because I came from Backwoods, Kentucky. You know, I think we had one black guy in my school, like for 12 years that I was there. And that was it. So when I got to the military, you know, my, my eyes were open quite a bit well, as far as different backgrounds, how people come up, you know, the right way to talk to them, the, the wrong way to approach them, yeah. um, and dealing with them as, you know, as being a supervisor, um, that opened my eyes quite a bit, and that translated very well over to coaching and made it a lot easier to deal with because I will actually try to figure out, okay, what's wrong with this person first before I just try to address little problems. I'm, right. I don't want to put Band-Aids on bullet holes. Let's get the bullets out. Yeah. Let's sew the let's sew the wound up and then move on. No, actually, it's a great point. I hadn't even thought about it so much, but um, yeah, I come from a small town in West Virginia, and, and there were no black people um, in our in my high school. Um, and then my basic training uh, squad, uh, seventeen people, uh, and were myself and and four other white dudes, Hispanics, Asians. Um, African American. Some didn't speak any English because they had just come here. One Cuban guy didn't speak any, and so learning how to communicate with them. I was a squad leader, um, and and learning how to communicate with everyone, understand like their mindset, their motivation. Certainly, when I went on um, and was over in Germany, being team chief and squad leader, um, you learn. Like you said, it's what's going on with the person. You could have someone who normally is the most squared away troop in the world, and suddenly they're not acting like they normally do. You have to sit there and figure out what's going on because it's usually, you know, you're dealing with any individual, whether you're coaching or, or you know, just hanging out with them. You're dealing with about 5 to 10% of their life, and it's the other 90% that can be impacting what they're dealing with right there. Um, you know, it's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that, but uh, – um, yeah, and you know, being an NCO, you know, it is you 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 train, you train people, and you keep an eye out on on folks and and looking at things like that. And um, but uh, for me, with the Highland Games, it was always um, I think the biggest thing is just being frustrated, not knowing the technique, and having to learn it. And I'm an over analytical person, so I take what seems like a simple movement of cast, spin, throw you know, or double spin and I'm throwing and broke it down into a lot of different piece parts and then having to learn each of those piece parts and, and master each one. And then what I find, you know, with people is if you break it down like that, it becomes so much simpler than I'm going to have you take this 56 pound weight in one hand and spin around twice, stay inside a nine foot long by four and a half foot wide box and throw it as far as you can go. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, pretty impossible for anyone to pick that pick it up like that um 
even Brian Oldfield had to learn how to do a standing throw with the shot put at some point when he was in high school. Um, and so, you know, like you said, I think from that perspective, military did have a, a bigger impact. I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right. Um, you, you do learn to work with people, various backgrounds, pretty varied in the military, which is a lot of, it's a lot of great side of that. Um, yeah. So you came into Highland Games 23 <clears throat> years ago. So yep. I'm doing the math in my head, but you joined the military in 81. So you were 18 and 81, 19, 18, 19, 19 years old. Yeah, 19. 19. Um, and you did six. So they put you at 26 uh-huh. when you got out. Uh-huh. Uh, 20, 25, 26. So you didn't start doing Highland Games until you were 35? Yeah. That seems kind of late. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> like, it's a- is that not like really close to master's <clears throat> class, like when you're starting? Well, again, there was no master's class. That's true. Yeah, there was no master's uh, So, yet. So it was, I'm going to be out there throwing with everybody else, regardless of age, um, regardless of size, capability, or anything like that. And that was kind of the, the fun part of the Highland Games is you had them – and we're from, uh, you know, John Paul Wright was like about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, Guy could throw a hammer like nobody's business. And then you had uh, Jumbo, Dave McClelland. Um, when you called Jumbo in the Highland Games, you know, you're pretty big. 6'7", um, about 320. Um, and uh, um, Sprout, John Campbell, um, he was about, I think he was about 5'6". And probably weighs about a buck 40, maybe. So a um, huge guy. Yeah, that's yeah, his, massive, that's his massive. Shoes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I love you, no, and, and I got a great picture of, of his nickname is Sprout, by the way, of Sprout and Jumbo next to each other. And, and it kind of, to me, epitomized what was great about the games when I first started is there, there's no breaking things down by weight or anything. Like that. It was just everyone was lumped together. So, yeah, 35 was old. Um, uh, my uh, kids were, um, just, my daughter just been born. So of course I went into the Highland Games, um, and uh, both sounds like, my sounds like a great time to get a hobby. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah get out of the house. Um, both my kids have been literally have been nursed in the athlete's tent at the field, um, and uh, they've been around it you know their whole life. My daughter did dance and fiddle, but uh, it was older. It was a point in my life where it, you know at about thirty-five, you've been working out for a while and everything else. And if you don't, like I said, if you don't have that goal, you don't have that competitive event to do, you're going to start losing, losing it. If you're that person who gets up every day and runs, and you don't have a half marathon or even just a five k or ten k to train for, how hard are you going to run, and how long are you going to run, and how long are you going to keep that up? At a certain point, it fades. And I think like mid thirties for me was. It was going to be fading pretty quick if I didn't do something. So, um, yeah, I went into Highland Games and learned just how strong I wasn't because um, that 56 will own you when you try and spin around with it the first time. Um, I'm trying to think of most 56-year-olds that I know, <clears throat> and I don't think they can turn around, much less spin around. Yeah. So, Chad, you're almost in that club. <laughs> yeah. I got one. I'll be 47 this month, man. I got, I got plenty of time, man. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm talking about the turnaround versus spin around. Yeah. <laughs> I don't doubt you can spin, but turning, I don't know. It might not happen. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I'm working on mobility. 
No, that's a, what's a funny thing about the games now is I was talking to uh amateur athlete just turned 40. I said, so you're going to start throwing with the Masters now? And he goes, you crazy? They're better than the amateurs. Well, that would and, be Randy Sylvester. Uh, I, I was not going to call him out. <laughs> oh, good. I love Randy. Randy's such a good <laughs> yeah. dude. Still, to this day, <clears throat> the hardest Moss match I ever had in my entire life was against Randy Sylvester. Nice. Uh, that match went on for what felt like an eternity. Um, but weren't you judging that one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there was supposed to be a two-minute time limit on it, and he lost his watch because <laughs> I felt like we pulled for decades. Hey, let me tell you the beauty of Randy Sylvester, though. F- first of all, I thank the world of Randy. He's been one of my good, great friends for years and years. And, yeah, we used to all train at the same gym and stuff together. And uh, Randy, for years, helped me at Green Hill. Uh, you know, he all Matter of fact, let me rephrase that. Randy has always helped me out at every event I've ever done. Uh, he's somebody I always depended on. I'm very, very thankful for our friendship. He's somebody I can say, hey, Randy, can you help me with this? And, he, you know, he's that kind of friend. And then one year, you know, after helping at Green Hill for a couple of years, he said, I said, Randy, I said, you going to help me this year? He's like, uh, Chad, uh, I really want to try try my hand at this Highland Games thing and throwing. I was like, okay. You know, it's like, that's cool, dude. I was like, I understand. It's like, you know, give it a shot. Randy, it turns out, was the world's greatest sandbagger because who knew he had all this athletic talent? You know, he comes out in his first games, and I'm like, where'd this guy come from? I was like, I haven't seen this type of athleticism, you know, the whole time I've known him. But, you know, he did the games, he came out, and the bug completely bit him. And anybody that's done it knows when the bug bites, it bites hard. You know, so now Randy's doing probably – I don't know, 10, 12 or more games a year. He's completely just in love with it. You know, he's a great ambassador for the sport. You know, he travels with it all the time. And it's everything you want to see another athlete be. You know, he's all the time watching videos, you know, getting other people involved. You know, I know he goes over here and trains with Brian all the time. Uh, just, again, he's, he's everything you like about the sport. You know, it's like I wish more people had that type of ethic, not just the work ethic to, hey, put in the work and be better, but just this genuine love of the sport. You know, I mean, he just, he just, he was just this most natural fit. And honestly, I never really saw it coming. Uh, but I'm so happy that it did because he's just another great athlete that we have right here in town that can help others out and stuff. So, but much love to Randy. You know, and I, I know he'll get a trip out, chill trip out and listen to this, but, uh, you know, in my opinion, Randy really is the pride of Roanoke. So he is the pride of Roanoke. Make sure we get that phrase, that, that coined out, and uh, get him a bumper sticker. Uh, that, that'd be the sticker. phrase that pays. That's I'm the sorry. phrase that pays. Is he is the pride of Roanoke? Okay, good. That tattooed in the back of his neck. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I will pay for that tattoo. I will do it. Um, there's a couple of really good tattoo artists here in Roanoke and Martinsville that I know. Yep. And uh, yeah, I will pay for that tattoo, Randy. If you're listening to this right now. I will pay for that tattoo. I'm just saying. So, uh, so as as we move on through here, um, let's get a little bit more background on Chad and the other fun things that you've done in your life. So, before we found out that you used to be a an amateur skateboarder slash pro skateboarder slash everything skateboarding, after that, and you got back into a, a lifting world and dealing with other stuff, what was it about Highland Games that said? Man, I need to go wear a skirt. 
man. <laughs> it's only a skirt when you wear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For us men folk, Dave, it's a kilt. That's to be right. fair, I have several, and I do wear them. I, I think they're super comfortable. I wear them at all my strongman shows because it's just easier to deal with. But, you know, when you're starting out and you go tell all your friends, hey, I'm going to go do Highland Games, they're like, what's that? Oh, well, it's the Scottish Highland Games where they, you know, they do the cabers, they're throwing the weights, they're doing all the stuff, you're trying to explain it to them. And they're like, wait a minute. Is that where they wear the dresses? Is that It's a kilt, people? Dave. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm quoting the people that don't know. That's what I'm doing here. Come on. <laughs> Work with me, Chad. Work right. with me. So I can give you the three defining factors that, that uh, maybe wanted to start wearing a kilt. One of them, and, and I'm sure Brian feels exactly the same way. And, and, and much like Brian, I, I didn't get into string sports until I was 33. And I think I told you last time I was on, that was my biggest regret in life. Uh, I wish I'd given anything if I'd gotten started earlier. Uh, but the three things that got me that were finally the motivating factors were, one, there was a TV show that used to air late, late, late night on ESPN called Ultimate Heavy Athletics. And I know, Brian, I'm sure, you know, that was that may or may not have been some of your first introduction to it. But I think for a lot of us of, of, of this age and uh, time period, that was where we got to see guys, you, you know, just like, like Brian mentioned, like uh, – uh, what, like Paul Ferency, Ryan Vieira, Matt Sanford. Uh, Carl Dodge. Carl Dodge. Uh, Francis Brebner, uh, Stephen King. Steve so, Pulsanella. Steve Pulsanella. One of the greatest personalities in all, all, in all of sports. We love yeah. Stevie P. I think the guy's great. He should have his own podcast, by the way. He might. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like everybody's got a podcast now. I mean, everybody's got a podcast. <laughs> so this show... <clears throat> It aired on ESPN late at night, similar yeah. to like World's Strongest Man. Yeah, exactly. Once in a blue moon on Christmas when there was no other, nothing else planned. Yep. What was this show consistent? Was it just Highland Games? It was just Highland Games footage from from different competitions. And just really, yeah. It was it was a combination of things. So seeing that, and then uh, reading again, reading the old Milo Strength Journals uh, that influenced. God knows, it influenced me. I'm sure it's just it's just fucking influenced generation after generation of lifter, of strength athletes because that was like a great gateway drug. You know, it's like <laughs> you get your Milo prescription in the mail. You know, and it's kind of like the gateway drug into the, this whole world, amazing world of strength. You know, not only it introduced me to Highland Games, but you know about traditional stone lifting and basket stone lifting, Olympic weightlifting arm wrestling the list goes on and on you know if if you get a chance you know if you see them for sale go back and buy them all the third thing was i think they've got them all online now yeah they they probably do i think they're all downloadable now beautiful and you know what i recommend anybody to go out there read them you'll be fascinated it's just again you, you can cover all your bases just on milo magazine yeah randall's a hell of a writer um Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll even go back and read Super Squats from time to time, just motivation to want to squat again. And that was written in what eighty nine. Well, they, they had uh, so many. They had so many great writers, though. It, it was Randall's uh, publication, but again, the number of writers that he's had over the years mm-hmm. is just. I mean, it's a who's who's list of the strength world. Uh, and the other contributing factor was the fact that I had two good friends at the time. I'd been doing some powerlifting meets, and they were throwers, and that was my good friend Jason Weiner. And my friend Billy Schrader. And uh, Billy Schrader, to me, is not only one of my good friends, but he's probably one of the most important individuals that I ever met in my life. 
Uh, not only did he get me into Highland Games. Besides me, of course. <laughs> well, that goes without saying, Dave. Well, just so our listeners know. Heavy on the sarcasm there, y'all. Just so everybody knows that I am the most important person in your life next to JC. That's it. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't rank higher than the dogs or the cats. But as far as people go, I'm I'm up there. That's... But, uh, but Billy Schrader was this guy that he'd been throwing for, for a bunch of years in town. And uh, he got me into the Highland Games which obviously has made a huge impact on me. Uh, more than that, Billy Schrader was also the guy that started the Green Hill Highland Games uh, 11 years ago. I, I, I didn't start it. Uh, all this stuff that really happens like in our region now, uh, basically I learned from Billy and started from him. Everybody kind of has like a coach, or at least for the most part, everyone has some type of mentor in life that, that we look to uh, or the kind of guys that start. And you know, for me, Billy was that guy. Uh, he put on the first Highland Games here in Roanoke. And then also he was the first to do, you know, basically, you know, what, what our sport that we do together is strongman. And Billy was putting on strongman events here in the Roanoke Valley as far back as like 2000, 2001. So, you know, it wasn't until much, much later that, the, you know, I kind of took his lead and started doing events. But Billy was really a, a guy that was way ahead of his time. And also, you know, he was the guy that was like, hey, you know, I'll loan you these Milo magazines. You know, read up on this, check out this. So he was a bit like me as far as pushing education and stuff. But those three things are what, what got me into the sport. And, you know, it's been the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life. Uh, you know, I, I've been very, very fortunate with a lot of, you know, meeting a lot of wonderful people and things. But I owe everything, all, the, all those good things to strength sports. And, you know, a lot of that just stems from, you know, my relationship with Billy Schrader and him kind of kind of coached me up. So, again, he's – Still just below me on importance list. That's just what I take from that to make sure. It's all about perspective, Dave. Right. And, you know, my perspective is I'm, I'm definitely better. So it's okay. <laughs> but, no. Um, everyone, Billy, everyone has different perspectives. Billy's done a lot for, for strength sports in, in Virginia. Um, and then you've taken that lead and you've, you've done a shit ton for strength sports in Virginia and across the country and into the world. What, what, I'm not going to talk about what I've done. But uh, well, you know, it's kind of the idea why you're here. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. For I'm trying you, to shed light on others. You yeah. know, the thing, thing is, you know, I always say, "Hey, I walk in a lot of other great people's footsteps." Uh, you know, you talk about Virginia. Billy's done tons of great things here for the state. And first of all, yeah, I'm very proud to be from the state of Virginia. Uh, you know, it's amazing the number of great strength athletes all across the board this state's produced. Uh, you know, earlier today. Uh, you were a good friend, Patrick Rogers' house. Uh, Pat is, is someone else, nothing but respect for. That guy was doing everything years and years ago, you know, putting on strongman events. You know, he's now the vice president for Strongman Corporation. I remember going down to the old Martinsville High School seeing the old Fatbacks contest. You know, it's, it's funny that uh, Pat and I had this conversation this morning. He's not the VP. He is the associate director of, I want to say he said being a bitch, but it's not. But it's the associate director of Strongman Corp. Well, well I will go on the record saying, Patrick Rogers, you, sir, are the man. Uh, and we'll, we'll level with that. But, again, you know, being from Virginia and Pat being close by, he was someone that, you know, I looked up to and respected. Uh, and, and not necessarily to say what his accomplishments as an athlete, but just his accomplishments as, as, a, as a person, as a promoter. And doing so much to grow the sport of strongman right here in the state. You know, our other long, long time state chair is Chris Lawyer. Mm -hmm. 
you know, again, you know, to me it's like you really can't say the word straw man in the state of Virginia without mentioning Pat and Chris. You know, and I, 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 or, I, or, or Paul May either. Yeah, yeah, Paul May is the same way. And yeah. Paul is just an off-the-charts individual and athlete. Uh, he, I, he was doing stuff at 50. That got yeah, 50 I, wish, 30, so. I wish I had half the talent that that guy had. Yeah. But, you know, Chris has done so much with the weight room with promoting all strength sports. He's a great coach for Olympic lifting, for powerlifting, for strongman. Yeah, he's just an amazing guy. John Shiflett is another person from the state of Virginia. Uh, John really helped me out with powerlifting when I was getting to that. And uh, John, to this day, is someone I still correspond with all the time. I look up to, I admire, I respect. And a lot of ways, the way I go about things, I really try to model after him. Uh, you know, also, you know, being as we're both state uh, Starman Corporation guys, you know, Stella Kropinski with, with Brute Strength Gym. I think she's been running stuff down there for 12 years, you know. And strength sports, if you run something for 12 years, that's a long time, yeah. you know. That's an eternity. It, it, is, it is. It is. That's kind of like in dog years, that's like 80-some. Yeah. <laughs> but Stella has done a lot for the sport, you know, not just uh, strongman. But, you know, she's pulling Highlander events. You know, I've helped her with a lot of those over the years. She's pulling powerlifting meets. So coming from Virginia, you know, one, I'm very proud, but I also had a lot of great role models, so – Definitely. When it comes to you know the state of Virginia, it's not about me. It's about all the people that really paved the way. You know, I just, I just got lucky, right place, right time kind of thing. But those people paved the way, man. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Virginia itself has had a very, very long history of great athletes and, and great people come out of it. Um, but then somehow Nova's still attached to it. I don't get that. Um, that really should be its own state. Or get me maybe, the hell out of there. Or maybe it could just <laughs> separate and be its own little country with some walls around it. it would be super. Uh, we could just take the 405 and just get rid of all of that. And then, what, 50 miles outside of the 405 all the way around? Sounds good? Uh, I'm, I'm fine with just staying my part of the state, man. Yeah, I'm just saying we just get rid of that part, though. We just, just build make a big it part wall of Maryland. I mean, nobody likes the, Maryland anyway. No, exactly. Yeah, there's nothing good in Maryland. I used to live yeah. there. There's nothing good in Maryland. All those Marylanders that left, like 100,000 of them, they all came to Northern Virginia. Yeah, so just give it back. the reason I left. Yeah, give, give it back to Maryland because, yeah. no, I'm just not uh, I'm not real keen on that place at all. Um, the, the last year I was there, it was just awful. I made more money than I ever had in my life, and I was poor. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't afford ramen. I couldn't put gas in my car. I didn't know when I was going to eat again, but I was just raking in money. But I had not enough to pay for food. Yep. I was like, this is awful. So I went back to Kentucky where I made thirty grand a year, and I was like, oh, man, I'm high on the hog. I can travel <laughs> now. I can go do shit. Like, it's great. Yeah, no- Northern Virginia, Maryland. Yeah, you know, no, you can definitely <laughs> have it. So, Brian, what brought you to Roanoke? How did you end up in this lovely, lovely piece of real estate? It is lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, running joke, Roanoke is a bowl. Did you know that? <laughs> Everybody you meet here, they, they got to tell you that, is that Roanoke is a bowl. My allergies um, tell me the same. Yes, yes. Um, it's a bowl? It's a bowl. So what is Wait, whoa, whoa. We got, we're going to have to So you've got the circle of mountains going around Roanoke, Salem, and the Roanoke River flowing through it and Tinker Creek and all these other estuaries feeding it. Mm-hmm. So it's a this sunken bowl in, uh, surrounded by this mountain chain. Uh, going all the way around so it holds in all the humidity it holds in all the pollen um and uh however 
it's still less pollen, better air, and less humidity than Northern Virginia. Wow. Because D.C. was swampland that George Washington founded our government on. So that's absolutely true yeah <laughs> that was that place was not a good place to build and yeah somehow that became our capital that's I don't right it. seems fitting yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no i had uh so chad and i've been chit-chatting and and uh talking and my wife and i are looking for something to do for a week to get away and we like hiking things like that so we thought well let's come down and chad wanted me to uh, spend a little time coaching him um and so i was like all right let's do a week down here and uh Chad turned in from, hey, can you help coach me, to suddenly I had 10 people I was going to be coaching, holding a clinic that day. Uh, oh, by the way, it was my wife's birthday. Um, and she being a, yes, she's an amazing individual. I'm still alive. She could kill me any night in her sleep, we all in my sleep. Fish. And it would be justified. Right. Because uh, absolutely. You did that. Chad, absolutely. you did that on her birthday. <clears throat> yeah. Because I um, remember when JC's birthday happened, and I just stayed away. I was yeah. like, it's a now, good idea. Just, just be gone. He did go and get balloons and tie them to her chair for her birthday <laughs> so she could sit at the field when I was coaching uh, doing the clinic uh, on her birthday so well, she is little you didn't get like big balloons because they'd probably make her float away <laughs> that, that's well, it just was a few okay. was, if it had been 10 she'd definitely be pop you know floating out yeah I'm kind of imagining like a Mary Poppins kind of situation yeah. where she just flies away and that's it yeah. so so but now after uh, spending a week here hiking and meeting everybody and meeting people Everybody's incredibly friendly here. Chad was really doing a lot with the strength sports, and we had made a decision um, soon at, well, we'd already decided we were going to be moving either here or East Tennessee um, just because we loved East Tennessee, thought it was beautiful, and we loved this area too. And so we were just him and Han trying to figure out where we wanted to uh, to move. And um, we uh, – <clears throat> um, you know, talking with Chad and coming down here for a few uh, competitions, Green Hill, and and um, uh, meeting people, you know, more people down here. We just thought this is where we want to come. Uh, it everyone is incredibly friendly. The strength community is strong down here. Um, the whole community is is really. It's something I haven't experienced as far as a whole community pulling together to try and help each other out. Um, you know, when, when people find out that you're new here, they're happy to sit down and spend 15 minutes telling you about, do you want a name for a plumber? Or do you, do you want to know where, where you want to go get food? Or anything like that. People are happy to sit there and give you a, um, recommendations and spend time with. I know oh, a little bit about food, Brian. Yeah, you do. And, <laughs> and you've been my, my primary lead on that. But I've been, uh, having a few other people told me a few things. <laughs> but, uh, it, no, I mean, just everyone is really friendly and outgoing. And, and they spend time. Um, willing to spend time with you talk about the Roanoke area and and to help you settle in and and acclimate and and enjoy yourself here and then see the investments going on like with Explore Park and um, some of the other um, uh, parks in the area and what they're trying to do to revitalize uh, the community Um, you know having come from West Virginia where I know it's like when industry moves out and it takes forever if ever for it to recover, and I see you know this rejuvenation going on with Roanoke, and they're bringing young you know young people are moving in. That's a big thing. Um, so I, I just I, I love that fact that you have an outdoor community, you have friendly friendly community. It's it's easy to get around. You know, one uh, park ranger at Explore Park said is that bad traffic in Roanoke is you have to sit at a light a second time for a second red light, and <laughs> versus as you know in Northern Virginia. 
as soon as the first snowflake hits, it takes you three hours to go 10 miles. Um, you, you made know. it that far? <laughs> yeah. Were you on the sidewalk? Because I could not make it 10 miles in three <laughs> yeah. hours. There was no way. So it, it's, it, it's just. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This segment is brought to you by Bullstrong. Bullstrong is an apparel company started by a good, close, personal friend of mine named Bull. Now, I'm here to tell you about what Bullstrong really is. Bullstrong's a mentality. It's a belief that you can do anything. You train your mind as hard as you have your muscles. You believe in yourself and you know your own potential. You're the type of person who stands up for what you believe in. You do what you say and no one doubts it. To be truly Bullstrong, the word quit is not in your vocabulary. If you're listening to this and you instantly thought that fits your description, then support our brand. Claim to the world, you are indeed Bullstrong. You can access Bullstrong on Facebook. Just go and search Bullstrong. He'll pop right up. You've got Bullstrong Apparel. It's bull-strongapparel.com. To put it simple, Bullstrong is a company that don't suck. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This segment has been brought to you by Gorilla Strength Equipment. They build the equipment that we all use. They take great pride in what they do and believe wholeheartedly that things worth doing are worth doing right. Everything they send out, they're proud of, and every single item that comes out of that shop has a lifetime warranty. Just as important as producing heavy-duty, quality equipment is providing top-notch customer service. Their number one purpose in life is to make a difference by helping people. Their goal is not to make a transaction with a customer. That doesn't mean shit. It's to create relationships, build friendships, and help people achieve their goals. The home gym craze is really just gone crazy. People aren't wanting to go pay 40, 50, 60, 70 bucks, you know, to go to a gym and spend, you know, several hours of their life there. They're trying to do it in their home. They're trying to do it in the garage, trying to do it in the basement. They're just trying to get it done. So this is a place you want to go to. Gorilla Strength Equipment will make it just about anything the creative mind that david dennis has is unfathomable I'd, i've helped him design stuff myself for strongman events you might have seen our equipment at mammoth strength challenge you might have seen it at kentucky strongest you might have seen it at the arnold amateur world championships last year we just used the bubba bar as the axle deadlift for that championship now we were able to load that bar up to over 700 pounds there was no flex, none, none whatsoever, and we still had enough room to put another 400 pounds of bumper plates on there. See, they make great stuff. You need it. I need it. I use them all the time. I've got hubs. I've got axles. I've got bars. I've got grip stuff. Everything that you could ever need from Gorilla Strength is there. You need to contact them to let them know. Now, we're running a special deal for you. If you're listening to this podcast, if you use the coupon code H2OCAST that's H2OCAST when you do your checkout you can get a Bubba Bar at the low low price of $120 that's shipped that's everything included that's called you spend $120 and it's going to get delivered to your house that is fantastic you're not going to find another deal like that now these are the same bars that we used at the Arnold championships the amateur amateur world championships we use these bars they're fantastic so if you go online you go to gorillastrength.us 
and you use the coupon code H2OCAST, it's H2OCAST, then you can get these very, very, very special bars for only $120 shipped to your house. Normally they're $150, so you're getting 30 bucks off. This is a huge discount, everybody. Go and check out David Dennis at GorillaStrength.us. Yeah, so what we thought was, what better destination than a place where people love where they live? They are investing time and money into the community and helping it grow and, and expand in lots of different areas compared to Northern Virginia, where it's just a lot of small enclaves of very angry people um, after all the traffic they deal with and the stress at work and everything else. This is the perfect place for us to come. Um, so that's why I wanted to come down and settle here, and, and we love it. Yeah, I feel like uh, Jag could moonlight as the Tourism Commission. Absolutely. Um, and not just for Serious Steel, because uh, you try to get more people to move here than anybody else does. <laughs> hey, man, like so, you know, I, I, no shame in that, man. You know, I'm, I'm very proud of being from here. You know, it's my home, and, uh, you know, I man, I want to make it the best I can be. Because you know? you've asked me to move here no less than 10 times. Oh, I know, I know. Well, that's... It's not just you on that list, Dave. Oh, I know, because I know you do that same treatment to everybody, trying to get everybody to move to Roanoke. But, hey, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, one of your friends close by, man. No, no, I, I completely agree, because I hate having to drive eight hours to come see you guys, but I still do it, and you always come and visit me, and you're there. Hell. We were talking about this at um, the wonderful Long John Silvers, and if y'all are listening, I, I could use another sponsor from Long John Silvers, just saying. Um, but we were there, and you were like, I was like, you've been there at least six times. You're like, way more than that. I was like, twice a year, three years. Yeah, six times. And then you started bringing up, like, Chicago and all the other trips that we've taken, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You do come down a lot more than that. Oh, we shit. take a lot of trips together, Dave. We do, and it's it's always a good time, man. It's always fun, because when we drive, uh, you lay in the back and sleep. That's what I'm good at, Dave. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much you in a car is in the back and that, sleep. That's, that's my story. Yeah, because that way you don't have to drive. That's, exactly. That's really what it's all about. So, um, But I, I feel like you know all I do is drive anymore. I'm at, uh, what, 1,200 miles for this weekend just coming to do podcasts. And I've got another 400 to go to get back home. So, And then tomorrow morning I'll get up and I'll drive 500 miles tomorrow. Um, but not for the podcast, just for work. So it's just it's kind of the way it goes. I end up just traveling all the time. But I also love it. So it, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. But you try to rival me on how much you travel. You just get to take more of those international trips. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about um, Moss, how you got into it, where it all came about. And then that's actually the connection that you and I had uh, the first time to, to meet. But tell me a little bit about that and where it's taken you in the world. First of all, it shocks me that we made it past that, that first encounter. It does. Um, Does anybody that knows me knows my love of air conditioning. That says a lot to your character and to forgive me for (laughs) my air conditioner being flooded from the torrential rains that we had uh, when you came to visit me. So, and at the time on that trip, remember if you remember right, I thought everybody in Kentucky was rich because they all had fishing ponds in the front yards. Yeah. Little did I know that was actually flood damage. Yeah, all of that was just (laughs) flooding and. One of those ponds came up underneath my house and kicked off the AC, and it did not work for four days. Conveniently, you were only there for four days. Conveniently. It, it was fixed the day you left, um, which was kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, you're welcome, man. But, you know, I didn't plan for that. Um, 
I did get another AC. But with Moss, how did you come about it? How did you find it? And where has it taken you in the world? Well, so the, the first experience with it was, I guess, probably six years ago now, I guess it was. I, you know, anybody knows me knows I have no concept of time. Mm-hmm. It could be five minutes ago. Or it could be five minutes from now when you arrive. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we'll say six years ago, I started seeing these videos pop up in, in the world of strength and on YouTube. I thought, damn, this just looks awesome. Uh, you know, and, and yes, it's the fringest of fringe sports. But I'll get more of that here in a bit. Uh, you know, that year, uh, Ode brought uh, Moss to the Arnold. And again, you know, he pulled out all the stops. You know, he had Mark Felix there. He had uh, our good friend and all-around super great guy, Steve Schmidt there. You know, Clay Edge and uh, Phil, was it Phil Brown before he passed. Was he there? Yeah, or? he was there. Cause okay. He was, I'd never seen, he was such a monster. You know, he, he definitely stood out. But all those guys were there doing Moss on the little side stage there at the Arnold. And at that point, you know, I met Ode and uh, kind of expressed my interest in it. And Ode gave me his business card. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, we started corresponding back and forth. And eventually, you know, things just clicked. We became really good friends. And, uh, you know, the next thing I know, I'm, I'm traveling to, you know, to Steve Schmidt, Steve Slater's place to, to compete uh, contest they put on. And uh, that was my first taste of the actual competition itself, being an athlete in it. I was like, wow, this is really fun. Next thing you know, uh, I'm seeing Ode at an event out in California, or excuse me, in Vegas at the time. He's like, hey, you know, I'm taking this, this group of athletes to Kyrgyzstan which at the time was a country I'd never heard of. But uh, I said, yeah, I said, sounds like a good time. I'm in. It'll be fun. That's mm-hmm. my other catchphrase. It'll yeah. be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> uh, you know, my wife, uh, who's a, a definitely another unsung hero in the world of sports, people have no clue how much she does to help others, other people, other athletes, other events. Uh, I'm not even going to go into details, but like I said, you know, she amazes me at her givingness and how much she does to help all of us out. You, you know, because you're behind the scenes with things. Uh, but my wife was asked to be the team doctor, and we went to uh, Kyrgyzstan uh, to be part of the Nomad Games, uh, which was basically what they term as an ethno-sport or ethnic sport festival, uh, basically in Asia, uh, former sa- Soviet satellite nation. And uh, that was my first taste of uh, anything international as far as the world of strength goes. And uh, it was the most eye-opening experience ever. We had uh, 32 different nations there that first year. Uh, and with those nations, you know, I hate politics and I hate politicians. And I live in a bubble. I don't watch the news and stuff like that. But, you know, we had Russians there. Uh, we had Indians. We had Pakistanis. We had Muslims. We had Christians. We had throw the whole whole mix into a bowl, and that's what you got. The thing is... With string sports, none of that shit matters. What we had was 100-plus athletes who were all became really good friends. And, you know, that's one of the things that draws me to Moss Wrestling is, is the people. Uh, you you have so many different backgrounds, nationalities, cultures, the whole nine yards. Uh, strength is one thing that really just – it brings people together. Uh, you don't even have to know the other's language. You can still communicate perfectly fine just with gestures – 
uh, Google Translate nowadays, so many other things. And uh, it just, it was such an eye-opening experience. I was like, wow, man, I was like, I always want to be a part of this. So whatever I could do to help Ode out and to help grow the sport, and it's it's been uh, painstakingly uh, hard trying to do so. Uh, but each year, you know, it's kind of like a lot of things. It just grows a little bit by little bit. And, you know, I'm good with that. Growth is growth. Slow growth is better than no growth at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just with this one fringe sport, it's taken me to, like I said, you know, we went to Kyrgyzstan. I've taken athletes to Finland to train to prep for the Arnold before. Uh, my good friend, Yuha, who's one of the greatest ambassadors for sport, uh, opens up basically his his training hall to anyone that wants to go there. He's had people from all different nations come over to train. Where's he at? Yuha uh, is uh, basically in a small like village, uh, probably about an hour outside of Helsinki. So Finland. In Finland, that's correct, yeah. Uh, you know, so I've taken athletes there. Uh, we went to go see all our good friends uh, last year up in Canada for the North American Monster Wrestling Championship. Uh, huge shout out to all my Canadian friends. Canada is, if you ever get a chance to go to Calgary and Alberta, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh, Canadians are known for the friendliness, and there's a good reason for that. They are just that great people. Uh, we had the greatest time up there. The place did not have air conditioning. That was a downer, but everything else is great. <laughs> well, see, I'm going to try to plan a trip up there, I think, in the winter, uh, because I know they have heaters, so I'll be okay. Yeah. I think I think I'll be able to make it. Uh, we've been to Russia twice uh, with Moss Wrestling. Both times, amazing experiences. I love it over in Russia. Uh, you know, we've been to Hungary. Uh, I can't think of all the other trips that Ode has made. Actually, I can't think of a lot of trips because my brain is pretty dead. Uh, but literally, it, it's just a small French sport that's got to take me all over the world. You know, and you know the friendships I've made, absolutely love. Uh, the funny thing is, yeah, you, know, you got 24 hours in a day. Uh, so here in the USA, you know, most things, unless you're me, kind of wind down at midnight. At midnight, my phone kind of usually starts dinging. So seven hours time difference between here and Finland. You know, so usually about midnight, I'll get the. Uh, the text message or a Facebook message or post from my friend Yuha saying, hello, good morning, Chad. Because they know I'm all up all, all night anyway. That's right. That's right. And next thing you know, maybe you may be getting messages from, from friends in Hungary or from friends in Russia or elsewhere overseas. But it's like it, it changes your whole time cycle because you know, now it truly is a 24-hour day because you, you have pretty much friends through sport and all the time zones. Uh, you know, it's just, it makes life very interesting. You know, again – seeing all these different cultures and, you know, and Moss wrestling has really been a vehicle to take me all over the world, uh, meeting people and stuff. And I've never been to college. Don't feel like I missed out. feel like I got a great education just through strength sports on my traveling. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and with that, uh, 24 hour day for Chad Clark, just so everybody knows it's a good public service announcement for you. Uh, don't try to call him before noon cause he ain't up. It just ain't gonna happen. Uh, but after midnight, it's totally fine. So just so everybody knows that going in, before noon, nah, bro. After midnight, totally fine. Uh, Dave's not lying on that. I'm not a morning person at all. Yeah, just 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 don't do it. Uh, he's come to my shows and be like, hey man, what time does the show start? And I know it starts at ten. I'm like, yeah, it starts at nine, bro, on the dot. And then he'll show up at like nine oh six. All right, man, I'm ready to judge. I was like, I'm Good. always there. Yeah, he always makes it. He's never missed out on making a show. But I know Chad Clark time. And CC time is very, very similar to CP time. 
and that uh, he's going to be late. It's just it's just going to be a thing. And I'm okay with that because now I just adjust my clocks. I, uh, I live on central time, so I give him those, and then he just doesn't do math. So it all works out. And then well, the important thing is I'm always there. That's right. That's right. And I, I do give you credit for it. You always show up, but you know when to show up. Uh, right as we're starting, because you ain't trying to waste no time. <laughs> You're just being efficient. That's, That's right. right. I'm very efficient, Dave. Yeah, there could thanks, be. Thanks, Brian. I will use that from now on. Very, very efficient. That's yeah. what it is. It's, uh, I manage my time wisely, son. Yes, it's good allocation of time. Yeah. Time management. That's that's what it is. So, right, And the one thing I forgot to tell you about Moss is, uh, again, beside the crazy travels we've done with it here in the States, you know, the years where we took it to the Europas, the Fit Expos, uh, which we, you know, we we've done all over the you know all the U.S. You know this year we're getting ready to go to Poland. Uh, you know, so I mean, you know, the world tour is going to continue continue right on along. You mm-hmm. know, uh, what are those what are those tickets to Poland? Mm-hmm. I, I might want to go. The t- you know what the, it, when you buy the airfare in, in advance, uh, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Like between like seven seven eight hundred dollars. That's not, uh, not terrible. I mean, I can maybe swing that. But, you know, Poland's a country, you know, I've always been fascinated by. Look, I'm not going to lie, I love Polish food. Uh, Who doesn't? I mean, if you don't like Polish yeah, food, yeah, you're exactly. not American. So you need to leave this country if you don't like Polish food. But, you know, but I love the food. Uh, I have a lot of Polish friends. So I've always kind of known, a, you know, little, little bits and pieces about the culture. And it's a place I've always wanted to go. And, again, you know, Moss wrestling is a sport where it offers you those type of opportunities, you know, to travel, you know. And, uh yeah, Ode's done an amazing job, you know, over the years with bring not only just bring the sport here, but uh, you know, anybody that knows Ode knows that he's such a great ambassador for so many things. You know, I also work with him, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is with, with Armlifting USA. Mm-hmm. You know, uh he you know, he's done that. You know, he's constantly putting promoting the sport of strongman. You know, I mean Ode is just I mean, he's an unstoppable force. Uh you know, I've told you this before, you know, Ode is roughly twenty years older than me. I can't keep up with the guy, you no, know. I can't. But you know, to me, you know, I mean, guys like that are are uh, inspiration to me. Yeah, I hope I can be doing half as much stuff as what he's doing at his age. Or I want to do half as much stuff as he does right now. Yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, but you know, to me, really, I mean, those guys that have these amazingly long careers and longevity, yeah, you really got to look up to. And you know, the guy's giving so much back, you know, to sport, not just bringing other sports here. But putting a lot of things that necessarily wouldn't get into the spotlight into the spotlight. You know, Absolutely. and that's one of the things I really like. You know, and again, I'm, I'm very proud to, you know, call Ode uh, my friend. Uh, you know, again, he served as, as a mentor to me on a lot of things. Uh, you know, sounding board for a lot of ideas. Uh, you know, I'm just thankful to kind of go on a lot of these crazy journeys with him, you know, that he's, he's taken me with, uh, you know, in the years. Mm-hmm. I know I try to get out to the training hall as much as I possibly can. Uh, it's always a fun time out there. And we'll go in, and it always turns into some sort of grip contest because that's what you do at the training hall is you turn it into some sort of contest. And we'll be down there, and we'll get the lift in. And, you know, I, I tend to have a really decent grip. You know, worldwide, I'm actually pretty good, oddly enough. And we'll be we'll, we'll go through the whole process, and I'll get to, like, you know, close to that max, and it'll be like, really good weight that's like a world-class weight that's really good and then i'll like finish up and i i dropped the last one because you know that was my pr and that's what i did i'm like all right man i'm, I'm really proud of myself this is really good i'm really happy right now and then ode starts to get up kind of 
hobbles over a little bit to where the bar is and picks it up as his warm up and does like 10 reps. And then it just crushes your soul because that upper 1% is so far ahead of the next 1% that it's like not even a contest. It's not, why do I even show up every time? It just hurts my soul. But every time I go, I'm a little better. So someday he will decline and then I'll beat him. It, I don't it, know. It probably won't happen, Dave. Maybe when he hits 90, I can do it. And I'm only, you know, 21 years away from that. Maybe I won't be on the decline already. So you're going to be proud to be a 90-year-old man? If it's unhappy, <laughs> absolutely. And anybody should be. Because uh, how many people have beat him? Not many. Not many at all. So, I mean, that's someday I will, hey, I will beat him. Story time here real quick. So we have this friend, Dennis. And Dennis is an awesome guy. And Dennis runs a grip shop in Moscow in the basement of like this high rise. Now I can't tell you the name of Dennis grip, Dennis's grip shop because it's all in Russian anyway, but it's a great shop. It's, it's one of those places. If you know, if you're involved in the world of strength and you're in Moscow, you definitely need to go to it. it it's very cool. Dennis is the most nicest guy you ever meet. And his shop is just like any strength slash grip athletes, like playground. You know, so any any time you go in there, there may be like other international people just kind of popping in, because that's really the kind of the way that Moscow is. And uh, I've went there with Ode on several occasions. And it's always funny because Dennis would be like, he has all these inch dumbbell replicas, mm-hmm. and he's always like, you know, I mean, him and Ode are really good friends, but they're always kind of messing with each, each other. And he'd be like, Ode, you know, can you still do the inch, you know? And, of course, Ode, you know, just walks over and does it cold. And Dennis like, wait, 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 let me go get my video camera, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But we've been there at, at times where, and my, my grip is crap, but I love it. it it's, it's just another fascinating aspect of strength. And, uh, yeah, I encourage all people to get involved in grip. No matter what no matter what strength sport you do, it's, it's going to help you out. And, and even if you don't do a strength sport – it will help you out. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it too, I've got, man. I've got friends of mine that are shooters. They yeah. do three-gun all the time. And they'll tell me, oh, man, I'm, I'm shooting a little to the right. I was like, improve your grip. They're like, well, how? I can't squeeze it harder. I was like, no, but if you improve your grip, you'll be more stable. You'll have more muscle mass there. And they're like, well, I don't want to look like you. I was like, I don't want to look like me either because that would be a lot of plastic surgery. That would be tough on you. Um, and you can't look this good. So when I tell them, I'm like, hey, guys, just improve your grip. They start working on it just a little bit. They work a little bit of flexors, a little bit of extenders. And they start shooting better. They're a little bit more accurate. They've got a little bit more stamina. Yeah, you know the contests. You know we put on. We've had guys that are mountain climbers that came in. Oh, those dudes are disgusting. Yeah, yeah the, you guys. know they're unreal athletes. You know arm wrestlers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many people who can benefit from from a great grip. Yeah. Uh, but Hell, going, mom at home can benefit from a grip. Yeah. Because then when she's carrying in groceries, she can do them all in one trip like you're supposed to do, like a true human. All right, I'm not touching that. But yeah. back to the story, Dave. <laughs> Let's stick to the story. Okay. But, you know, like there's been times where we'll be in the shop and next thing you know, someone comes in from another country. And then also you next to this whole like impromptu fun like grip contest breaks breaks out. You know, we may be doing like uh, like a rolling thunder, maybe doing like a hub or something like that. But inside the shop, it's like it's always some type of contest, informal and impromptu, but just for fun. You know, like the last time we were in there, I think we had like five different nations represented you know, in this little teeny shop in Russia. Because we have a friend, Tim O'Shea from Australia, was with us. Uh, our buddy, uh, Rodrigo from Uruguay. 
I mean, over from the U.S., Russians, I can't think of where else we had represented, but literally, like, on any given day, you could possibly have, like, multiple nations represented. And again, some of the people can't really speak English, uh, but it doesn't matter, you know. It's okay. They look at you and they go, these guys, they can't even speak Russian. <laughs> so, what the but, hell? But, but it's, it's strength sports, so it doesn't matter. You know, it's like you still, like, wave, you know, a five-kilo plate for the next jump, you know, and you get the thumbs up or the thumbs down, you know, mm-hmm. to add, but... It's just a cool experience, you know. Again, it's just anytime you get to travel the world and meet people and and see cultures is great. And like I said, and Moss has really given me the opportunity, you know, to do that and stuff. And let's say, you know, we'll be going to Poland in November. Uh, I know we're really trying to push to have a great team. So if anybody out there is you know interested, you know, please contact me. Please contact Ode or send a message or or contact you, Dave. You know, you're another great ambassador for the sport. That, I, I'm not saying that I haven't trained some of the best guys that have ever well, that's, gone that's through. That's true. But, you know, just and, throwing that out there for you. And ladies, we can't forget Mary Kane. You cannot forget Mary Kane. That's that's not possible. Um, she actually just did a bodybuilding contest this weekend. And then come the 1st of September, she's going to be doing uh, Strongman Nationals. So, I mean, she's all over the place um, and does well at everything. She, she's a phenomenal athlete and also one of the coolest people you ever meet, man. Absolutely. She's She's great people. Uh, her and her husband, Jamie, are just some of the best people that yeah. really I've, I've ever met in my life. And uh, I'm lucky enough to get to go to their house next weekend and uh, do a podcast with them. I was about to be on your podcast here real soon. Yeah, so I'm, I have a very illustrious list of, list of amazing people that get to be on this podcast. So I want to jump over real quick. Um, Brian, where has Highland Games taken you, <clears throat> and what other sports have afforded you travel to be able to go – see cool parts of the world uh so um highland games i've competed several times in scotland um i've done as far as california i think one one summer um wait let's go back to the scotland part yeah how is it how is that like that's that's mecca for for highland games so like how how is that i mean that's that's got to be a different kind of experience. It, it it's awesome, but it's also really different if you've come from uh, you know American or even Canadian Highland Games background, where we have really large crowds. Um, the fourth largest Highland Games in the U.S. is uh, I think it's um, uh, it might be Grandfather Mountain uh, this year, but um, it's about a hundred thousand people. You go to Scotland and what? and the Braemar Games, you might get five thousand people. So the size of the games here are massive. The intimacy you get with the crowd there, and it's good and bad, um, (laughs) is phenomenal. So we were throwing it at the mall games in Tobermory. Great games. You're on top of a hill overlooking Tobermory, the the Bloody Bay where there's a battle between the McDonald's and the McLean's and um, just all this history right. and the McDonald's clan, not the McDonald's restaurant. Correct. Okay. Just yeah. The McLean's would have slaughtered the McDonald restaurant. Um, I don't know, man. Ray Kroc was, uh, <laughs> he was a pretty vicious guy, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen the movie, the founder, but I have not yet. I highly recommend you watch that. Uh, Michael Keaton is a, a phenomenal actor in that movie and really awesome. epitomizes the evilness and the, the loveliness that is Ray Kroc. Because you love him, and you're like, man, this guy's great. And you're like, that son of a bitch. He fucked those poor McDonald's guys over hard. And you just you get to see it all unfold. But Sure. McLeod's, or yeah. McDonald's, McLean's. Yeah. So, so it's a great, historic, beautiful setting. The, the 
ground's perfectly level on top of this mountain, and you're throwing inside of a track that most people could probably, um, you know, heave a light stone from one end to the other as far as the width goes, and you're inside that throwing the hammer, the weights. So we had to time our throws for the hammer, for example, when they're running, we had to wait till the runners went past our end of the field before we could throw the hammer again, because there's, there's a few of them that would fly off into the lanes where they would be running and you didn't want to take out a runner. At least there, they didn't like that. But the whole, I think that'd be kind of cool to see that. Is there a video of a runner getting hit by a hammer? There's, um, we might need to search for that later. I, 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 think, that. I think I've probably come up with a couple. <laughs> but uh, so the, the whole town of Tobermory is about 1,000 people. They show up, um, and they're, they're just right there with you. I mean, they're right on the edge of the, the field. It's a small field. They're doing all the track events, which we don't do at our Highland Games. They also do the jumping events, the what they call a hop, skip, and a jump. A hop, skip, and a leap, rather. We call it triple jump now. Um, they're doing this standing broad jump and all of those things. So they, they do the light events as well as the heavy events. And the light events are the, the all the jumping, the pole vaulting, and things like that that we associate with the field events as well as all the running. So I and, just thought that just being like track and field, like Olympic type stuff, not – I never tied that to Highland Games. Yeah, so um, – well, the Highland Games – uh, you probably know is that the the hammer in the Olympics and the shot in the Olympics comes from the Highland Games, mm-hmm. um, and they just look at it as it's like a local competition for athletics. So the high school athletes come out and they compete in this, and kids can travel around and compete in the different events, uh, different age groups at the different Highland Games. So they're doing the, these light events, and they're running. You know, this track is running right around. I mean, you could reach out and touch the kids as they run. And just on the other side of that track, which is about 8, 10 feet wide, is the crowd. They're right up there with you. And they're um, sitting there, you know, talking with you. And, and uh, it's really an intimate, intimate experience, um, you know, a lot more so than, than competing in, in the U.S. It, it is a mecca. I competed at, at Inverness. Um, it's the only place where they actually have a Highland Games field. They built a venue for the Highland Games in Inverness, right in the middle of town, right next to the Highland Clans Association, um, where the Highland Clans all meet um, to do business. I don't know what business they do. but that's um, definitely the place where I saw them on that TV show. <clears throat> that's got to be the one. But yeah, that's why I think that's why I was mentioning. I think it was Inverness you were talking about. Yeah. Um, so um, those are just phenomenal. I mean, like uh, in Inverness, uh, the B&B we are at was about a mile from the field where we were competing. And I would walk the mile along the Inver River, or the Ness River, rather, um, next to the castle at Inverness to the field to, to practice. And it's just – or to compete. It is just an unbelievably surreal experience. Um, and, and so those if, – if anyone gets a chance to go, if you're into the Highland Games, you get a chance to go, do it. Um, Ryan Vera and um, I'm having a brain fart in his name. Um, anyway, went over, two Americans went over to Scotland. And in Scotland, the Highland Games are Monday through Sunday. There's a different competition going on every day of the week in different places. So these guys will go over for four to six weeks, and probably five days out of seven, they'll compete. And Wait, what? <clears throat> yeah. And, and, and so the Highland Games season is – pretty dense in Scotland because, you know, the summer's not very long. Um, it usually happens on Thursday, I think. Um, and they got to pack as many Highland games around that 
one day of summer a year. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Is that the one day it doesn't rain? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't rain too much. It's, uh, it's, it's light it, rain. It's drizzle it's right. that day. That's right. No lightning, just drizzle. Yeah. Um, but so that was unbelievable. Um, Pleasanton competed uh, out at the Pleasanton Games, which, again, that's probably about 150 years now, I think, they've been going. Started as the San Francisco Games and moved to Alameda County. And it is a place where, I mean, well, first of all, it's scary as hell when you're doing the field events because they got six or seven flights going simultaneously, all throwing into the center of this pretty small field. And if you're, um, uh, you'll be standing there watching because you're going to shag back the light hammer and the guy who's standing next to you is facing the other direction because he's going to take the 28 pound weight that's flying in the other direction towards you and you agree that you're going to tug the other one out of the way if the hammer or the or the lightweight's going to hit one of you um and it's just that tight of a field um but you're throwing where don't they have bigger fields there uh, not, I mean, didn't they create golf there? Don't, they have big fields. <laughs> they do, but not in the Alameda County Fairgrounds. Um, Expand just a little bit. I mean, yeah. maybe bring in some dirt, maybe level it off, do some <laughs> groundwork. I, it seems like that could just be problematic. Has anybody ever been hit by a hammer and, like, just destroyed? 28-pound um, weight. Um, I do know, I won't mention his name, one athlete hit an old lady in the stands with a 28. He shanked it. Um, you know, one of the big mistakes people make is they think that the athlete knows exactly where he is and what's happening. Um, at the safety briefing I give to any of the people I'm coaching is if you're not throwing, your job is to not get hit. Mm-hmm. It's not the job of the thrower to not hit you. Right. They're throwing. They're in, you know, focused on that. And you could hit uh, a hole. You could slide. You could mess up your footing. And that weight goes flying in a direction you don't expect. Um, so it is not – safe um but you know people often think for some reason that an athlete knows exactly what he's doing and where the 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 implement's going to go but anyway uh, uh, so pleasanton is an awesome experience um and uh it's where you got ryan vieira and um matt sanford jim mcgoldrick and all these legends have competed there and and won and and for many years running that was like the standard national championships um, they uh, threw there when they were doing the International Hammer Championships. That was a, a pretty special treat. Um, seeing six am, six pro athletes all throwing um, in the hundred and teens with the heavy hammer, which is unbelievable distance, and uh, in the hundred and thirties and even low one forties with the light hammer. Um, so we're talking one hundred forty <clears throat> feet. Yep. That a hammer is traveling. Yes. Now I've I've hit my thumb with like a framing hammer, and I've <laughs> thrown it pretty far. Yeah. But I don't think I was getting close to 140 feet. There was a wall in the way, but... Maybe if you hammer it, the handle was a little longer, you might have, but... Yeah, maybe a turn and, you know, actually have some skill with this sport that I don't have. Yeah. Uh, that might help. But, yeah, 140 feet Yeah, with a hammer. That's with a 16-pound hammer. Yeah. A 16-pound... 16 16-pound 16 hammer. Yeah. So, and, if you guys are listening now, just go down to your local... Uh, uh-huh. hardware store get you a 16 pound sledgehammer with a long handle on it see how far you can throw it just go have fun with that yeah try let me know how it works out for you go ahead and uh, do some callback ins for the for the podcast here and uh we'll uh we'll answer your questions yeah yeah so it's that was a great venue um but 
you know, it's just as much fun going, rolling into a town that you've never been to in like Northwestern Pennsylvania. Um, you roll in Friday night, you get up and you go and you meet a bunch of people you've never met before. And you have a great day competing all day long. And some of these venues, you only have a hundred people show up because it's just, you know, a bunch of throwers getting together and the, the Highland games there are just starting to get going. And it's usually a thrower who's kind of pushing that. Um, but you know, then you've got others like uh, Grandfather Mound or Estes Park um, that, uh, or Celtic Classic that have, you know, 50 to 100,000 people showing up. And it's just um, the, the level of talent uh, competing there, but then also all the different things that you get to experience there, the, the fiddle, bagpipe competitions, dance competitions, um, and then, of course, all the food because me and Chad are all about the food. Meat pies. Meat pies. Meat pies are good. Um, what yeah. are those? Uh, scotch eggs? Scotch eggs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those are like the greatest <clears throat> things ever. They took an egg, and they wrapped it in meat, and they deep fried it. I mean, does it get better than that? Is there any food that could possibly be better than that? I don't think so. Meat pies with HP sauce. No, negative, sir. Um, actually, sure, you're wrong. Deep fried Mars bars. Oh, deep fried Mars bars. See, a, that's more of just an American thing. No, that's a Scottish thing. Mar- Take a Mars bar, you put it in batter, you fry it, then you cover it in um, powdered sugar. I feel like that's a Texas thing because they have everything fried down there. Well, they probably got it from Scotland. It's uh, no, they they have fried butter. <laughs> well, they do. Mars yeah. bars are different over there. Yeah, they are. Because I'm a junk food connoisseur. We all know that. You know, I, I love to eat some garbage. Mm-hmm. I should. You know, when I come back in another life, I'd probably be a raccoon. Maybe but, a possum. You could do possum. Yeah, I'm cool with that, too. Yeah. But, yeah, the thing is, as Brian was talking about, the Mars bar over here, and you, you, we could probably bring in some experts. So Dan McKim is a true oh. snackaholic, and, and it, I consider probably one of the top echelon experts in eating junk. You okay. Know? okay. But the Mars bars over here, if I'm correct, they have nuts in them, right? Mm-hmm. All right. And see, and that's what I like. The Mars bars, when I was over in Scotland recently, one of my friends was like, Hey, Chad, you know, it's like, I say, anything to pick you up, you know, my way out. He said, give me some Mars bars. So I got him some Mars bar- bars. Well, of course, I got hungry, so I had to start eating his Mars bars. I mean, it had <laughs> been like five minutes. So, I mean, been, yeah. But the thing is, it's like, God, this is horrible. I was like, where's the peanuts or almonds in? I was like, this is garbage. So it's a big, but the Scots love their Mars bars. But admittedly, they are the inferior product to the American Mars bars. America for the win, people. I feel like when it comes to uh, snacks that are just bad for you, I think we win on like all counts. We created really the Twinkie. Do. Well, let me tell you this, too. Yeah, we'll, have you ever had a fried Twinkie? Well, that's a relic for the store, I'm going to tell you. Or a fried Oreo. <laughs> we'll get back to the original story, but okay. did you know, you know in, in, in all my travels, Highland Games took me to Iceland. And we were fortunate to stay with with. Everyone, everyone in the Highland Games world should know the name Peter Goodmanson, uh, Olympic shot putter. If there's a Hall of Fame for our sport, Peter should be right up there at it. If there's a Hall of Fame for all-around nice guy, Peter should be in it. After you. Well, I, <laughs> besides that, mm-hmm. anyway, I got to be, become good friends with Peter's son. And as he was driving us around while, while we were there working for the – this is a couple of years ago for the World Masters Highland Games Championship – uh, I was like, you know, I, I forget his son's name, but I was like, is there anything, you know, I can do for you when I get back to the States to kind of reciprocate and show my appreciate for, appreciation for what you've done here? And uh, Paul, me, that's his name. 
And Palmy was a junk food connoisseur like me. And the Mountain Dew over there sucks because they don't allow all the good chemicals that we add here. So, you know, the Mountain Dew's garbage. Yeah, every time I've been overseas and I've had Mountain Dew, it's yeah. trash. So we, I couldn't mail them a six-pack of Mountain Dew over there of American stuff because with the weight, it would just be too expensive. So we decided on Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal. Now, I love Cinnamon Toast Crunch, yeah, and so does Palmy. Yeah, yeah. So I sent him multiple boxes of that, and then our conversation went, he's like, did you know, and this is a couple years back, I'm sure it's more now, He's like, these boxes could easily go for between 60 to $75 each on the black market. So what you're saying is, <laughs> I'm going to Iceland next month. <laughs> Take need- as much cinnamon toast crunch as you can, Dave. You'll be rich. All right, I have an extra bag. I don't need clothes. I can <laughs> buy a jacket when I get there with the money that they use to buy my black market uh, cinnamon toast crunch. Sir, why, why are you bringing 20 boxes of cinnamon toast crunch into our country? Have you looked at me? I'm fat. <laughs> <laughs> I have a problem, okay? You can't you can't uh, discriminate against me for being fat. But anyway, but again, in the world of like trash food, America does reign, reign supreme. So just dropping knowledge out there. Well, as long as we're as long as we're winning at whatever it is, you know, being the most unhealthy, we're winning. Right. And on that note, back to Brian after hijacking his story. Yeah, just stole that story. So Brian, if you could just pick up exactly where you left off and not have any train of thought going, and also, have you tried fried Oreos and or DMT? Uh, no, I have not. And yes, I can pick up exactly where I was. Um, so there I was. Okay, I'm thinking. No, um, I can't pick it up. No, I want to say was that the the so every single Highland Games has like their own vibe. Um, the ones that are the the smaller games are a lot of fun as an athlete. But I will say, having you know drug my family all across the U.S. going to these things is that some are better than others as far as, uh, you know, kid entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in, in did, Scott, Did you ever go to Kentucky? Did I you did. Ever, you did do the one in Glasgow? Yes, yes. Okay. I, I what like that one. What did you think of that? That's the one that I've been to the most. <clears throat> what did you think of that one? Um, I like that. It's been, geez, about 15 years since I, uh, I went to it. But uh, Ma was great. Um, you know, she really took care of the athletes and, and wanted to make sure we all had fun. Um, unfortunately, the last time I was there, it poured rain. Um, so, you know, as far as a thrower goes, it wasn't a great day. Yeah. Um, it's one of those ones where you have all these goals when you get up in the morning and you see the, the condition of the field and you go, new goal, don't get hurt. And, you know. Don't die. That's it. Don't yeah. die. That's generally my goal in life. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to work, but I'll keep trying. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it, it's – I like that games a lot. Um there was uh, one out in Garrett County, Maryland, that was small. And at first, it had a lot of things for the kids, like pony rides, stuff like that. But at a certain point, a lot of that stuff kind of fades away, and, and it really becomes a thrower sport, a thrower's event mm-hmm. uh, at that point. Um, but all the ones that have the great food vendors and um, have the, uh, the fun stuff for the kids and the fiddle and the, the beer drinking um, competition. Oh, wait, that's after we compete um but you know the beer the beer tents some of us who attend uh, that beer drinking competition starts before you guys are finished I'm just yeah throwing that out there for you yeah um you know they're just a really great family event is for the most part um but every single one of them has their own different vibe and and what's what's great about them is is getting to meet a lot of these different athletes that you know i was traveling one summer doing uh, I don't know, probably did about 20 games, me and Drew Kirchin that summer, traveling all over, just 
meeting new athletes and competing and, and having a good time. Um, uh, you know, we were both were doing real well in our respective classes and uh, it just had a lot of fun meeting people from all over and, and spreading the sport, you know. Um, I will say is that invariably you have in some of these smaller events the really huge, incredibly inflexible, strong guy try to come out and compete in the Highland Games and that doesn't go well because they learn that you, know, you do need to be flexible um, and uh, hopefully they get through it without a blown muscle, but that is probably about a 50-50 shot. Um, and then they come to Strongman. And they do okay. Then they come to Strongman, they do great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're okay because flexibility clearly is not a thing we need. Spinning, throwing, no. Yeah, we don't do that. That's yeah. right. The only throwing we do is maybe a keg over a bar. Yeah. Hey, hey real quick, Dave. And this goes back to a conversation me and Brian had uh, recently. You know, and I know you're you're gonna be right on the same boat. You know, we always we always talk about competing, and you know, kind of like what you said. You know, one of the basis for the podcast is you know be good or be good at it. And, you know how you got there and stuff. And the conversation me and Brian had the other night was, you know, and I'm completely serious when I say this. I really feel bad for people, and I understand everybody's different. And you know what we do is not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. And when I say we, I mean strength athletes in general. But, you know, looking back, you know, through the years, uh, I feel bad for people that haven't lived kind of our lifestyles, at least at some point. Uh, you know, I mean, traveling to games, you know, like what Brian said, you know, going to all these games, you know, he was going with Drew Kirchner or, you know, like with me and you go to events together or, you know, while I'm taking athletes somewhere and stuff. It's such a great experience. And, you know, that's why, you know, I, tr- I want to be – I'm always passionate about it. It's like I want other people to experience this. You know, I mean – is it a crazy life we live? Oh fuck yeah, it is. You know, yeah, I mean, it's. Absolutely. I mean, it's nuts. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, it's. It's hard to explain to other people. It's like, oh well, you know, I've slept in this airport and it was, you know, in, in Kyrgyzstan with armed guards and you know things like that, no air conditioning, but it makes life. I used to work out of that airport. Yeah, in Bishkek. Yeah, yeah. I, I lived there for four months. <laughs> but but a, but yeah. But my whole point is, I couldn't imagine living a life. Uh, yeah, I've been in this stuff for so long now. I couldn't imagine living life any other way. And you know what? I wouldn't want to live it any other way. You know, this is, you know, at some point I made a decision, hey, this is what I want to do. I'm going to roll with it. And for people that, again, I'm not knocking anybody else, but just all the great experiences, you know, we've had, like everybody sitting here at this table, I know for a fact we wouldn't trade anything for any of those, you know. Pretty sure none of us ever be rich, and that's cool. You know, but it's like, you know what? It's like, I can take, and you can't take money with you. But, you know. So, wait a minute. You've not seen a hearse with the money truck behind it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've seen it pulling a money trailer? <laughs> I'm going to have that. I'm going to make sure that I have a money trailer. There might be a dollar in it, but there's going to be a money trailer. Well, you'll be the first one. That's right. I'll make But, but for the rest of us, you can't take, you know, you can take your memories with you. And to me, that will always outweigh anything financial, anything like that, you know. For better or for worse, you know this is how, you know this is how I live my life. I love it. And I'm like you know I feel sorry for people that haven't been able to share these crazy experiences with with their best friends. Mm-hmm. You know I mean all over the world. I mean all these experiences you know we've shared. It's like yeah wow man I wouldn't take anything for you yeah. know. So it's like well that, that's another big part of what the podcast is for me. You know anybody who knows Chad knows that he takes pictures. And he takes a lot of fucking pictures. We're gonna get him a new phone someday. My phone's still a piece of shit, y'all. So yeah, we gotta get that fixed. We gotta we gotta solve the problem. But you take pictures. That's how you make your memories. 
And I've always asked, man, why do you take so many fucking pictures? Like, Jesus Christ, it's it's every six seconds with you at a show. Come on, man, we got we got places to go. That's why he's I got always, a lot of friends, Dave. That's why he's five <laughs> minutes late because he's taking pictures. But that's your memory. That's that's how you recall everything. And for me, I'm not a picture guy. There's more pictures of me with you because you said let's take a picture than there's any pictures of me that I said that. Once the podcast over, I get a group picture too. Yeah, we do because I need to put it on the podcast because I'm gonna start doing that. <laughs> um, but. The podcast to me is that memory. This is conversations with the greatest and best people in the entire world. I know we're only on like episode, what, eight right here. But man, this has been some of the greatest time of my life is sitting down and talking with great and interesting people like you guys. Um, and it, that's it, that's what it means. Hey, to man, me. we'll all agree. Yeah, one of my other sayings is, you know, life is short, do it kilted. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, you know, life is short. Uh, you know, I mean, how many people do we know in strength sports just in the past year that have passed? Too many. Way too many. You know, these are you know people we all look up to and respect. And it's like you wish they'd be around forever, and then they pass, and then you realize, wow, man, life's fucking short. Yeah. And next yeah. year it'll be just as many. Yeah. And, and the I, year after that, just as many again. You, you know, and that's my whole thing. It's like, man, life is short. So it's like, you know. I encourage anybody, you know, get involved in strength sports. You know, go out there, you know, compete, live, travel, make friends, see the world, do things. You know, o- open your mind to, you know, all this great stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. Be a, be good at being a good friend, and get better at it. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. that's really what it comes down to. So, uh, Brian, if if people want to find you because they want a a great coach here in Roanoke, how do they how do they go about doing that? What's your what's your Facebook, your Twitter, your your Instagram, all your fun things, because I know you're a young guy. You have all that. Yeah, I, I've, I've got Facebook, um, <laughs> and I've got email. So uh, the Facebook, uh, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, McLean, M-C-C-L-A-I-N. You'll see a picture of me standing there with my miniature wife, um, me and the Kelt. Uh, also, McLean, B-E, Bravo, Echo, at gmail.com if you want to email me. Uh, I, I actually um, do do taking people's videos and watching them. And so if you want to email me a video, I can watch it and give you some feedback online uh, about that. Happy to do that stuff. Um, sometimes things get busy, like we got Green Hill coming up, so maybe a couple of weeks before I can get back to you. But, you know, I'm happy to do that stuff. Um, so that's how to get a hold of me. Are you going to be competing at Green Hill? No. I, no. My, my competing days are over. Oh, okay. So you're going to be out there helping, uh, doing some judging, helping out Chad. Yeah, meeting with the vendors. Yeah, he's going to put and you to work. You have no idea how many amount of work you're going to have to do. This no, dude. No, that's just, that's just you, Dave. You're yeah. slave driver. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. That is me. Yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. what I do. Uh, I work my friends to death at a show. But I put on quality shows. Um, and I couldn't do it without my friends. So there's no way. If Chad didn't come to my shows, they just wouldn't be that good. <laughs> yeah. They wouldn't. Um, and if a big shout out I have to make, um, cause he doesn't listen to the podcast. He doesn't go to the gym. He doesn't care about lifting weights, but, uh, Robert, the machine Wilson, uh, absolutely. I couldn't do any of the shit without him. Don't forget his wife either. Dave. They're not married just so you know, Oh man, but, they, but they've been together for decades. Um, but, uh, yeah, him, him and Flora both are, uh, just instrumental in everything that I'm able to do. Even like doing the podcast because they take care of everything at home. And they are two two cool people, man. Yeah, and it, he works, he outworks me, and I've been praised on national levels for my work ethic. And that dude like makes me look lazy as shit. Yeah, he really does, man. Uh, so it's it's rough when he's around because I look bad. Um, but 
I, I have to put that thank you out there to him. And I want to thank you guys uh, for coming out and doing the podcast with us. Um, anything else you guys want to give to the public? No, man, just, again, you know, thank you for giving us the platform to speak. And uh appreciate all you do. Again, you know, it's, it's an honor to be here with two of my good friends. And uh, let's say, you know, I'm so glad and fortunate that Brian moved here to the Roanoke Valley. And fortunate he's helping me with athletes and stuff. And, and really just making, you know, making the Roanoke Valley a better place for strength athletes and strength sports in general. And the same, again, she's not in the room, <laughs> but the same goes for his wife, too. You know, she's a sweetheart. She's a saint. And uh, she's just as big a help as he is. You know, just, you know, she's very supportive of everything. She takes great care of athletes. She's like the ultimate, like, team mom for everything. Yeah. So we really got lucky when we got the combo of them. That's awesome. That's I'm really lucky I got her. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're glad that she settled. Um, we're all happy about that. So that's awesome. Um, but thank you guys for coming out.